Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides, a family-run charter fishing fleet based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, or you're an avid angler that travels the world and you're looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, the Mass Bay Guides crew will do anything it takes to make sure you, your friends, and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, visit the Mass Bay Guides website at massbayguides.com. And for the latest reports, content, and other info, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Mass Bay Guides. This episode is also brought to you by Deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you guys visit www.shopdeep.com, you can check out all the new apparel that they have coming out this spring. And if you use the promo code SEARSBRO, that's S-E-A-R-S, BRO20, you get 20% off your next order. We love these guys. Um, we've been friends with them for a while. Uh, what's cool about this company is, you know, some of the owners actually, they actually fish. They fish offshore. They fish the canyons. They giant tuna fish. They have a really, really good offshore program. So, you know, they're, they're making apparel and gear that, you know, truly does fit kind of the lifestyle and, and some of the requirements that we have in, in the offshore fishing world. On today's episode of the podcast, Taylor tells us a pretty epic fish story. Back in August of 2010, he was running one of the Mass Bay Guides boats. It was actually a boat we were we were leasing for the season as um, you know our third or fourth boat for overflow for clients. And um, he was fishing with a guy by the name of Tom King, who's a Situate Mass resident as well. Uh, shark guru expert. He's kind of always been known as uh, as the shark guy around the docks and, and even throughout New England. Um, but anyways, Taylor had a, uh, a pretty epic trip with, with him and with uh, a family of four. Started off the day tuna fishing and it quickly evolved into an epic story about them landing currently and we haven't heard otherwise, but currently is the the largest male short fin mako ever recorded caught. Uh, prior to prior to them getting this fish, the biggest one that local scientists you might have heard of Greg Skolmol and and Tom and other people, um, the largest male that they had heard of prior to this fish being landed was you know only just over five hundred pounds. And this fish scaled out at uh, 624. So it's an epic story. Uh, a lot of uh, things went right. A lot of things went wrong. Um, and it's just a, a great listen. I've, I've probably heard it 50 times. And I still get goosebumps every time. I And a lot of laughs every time I hear this from Taylor and, and from everyone else that was on the boat that day. So hope you all enjoy. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. No. I will say, I like the headphones. I like being able to monitor the volume. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. 
like it a lot better. Um, albums. We recently upgraded equipment because of COVID-19 and not being able to have people in the home studio here at my house. So we had to get some stuff so we could do FaceTime call, podcast, Zoom call, podcast, Skype, whatever. And it's actually pretty cool. I literally wrote this. On January 25th, 2010. I remember that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Michael Jordan appears at the end. A couple people do. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to read? Re- uh, I guess I'm going to read my story that I wrote. It's kind of short, though. Ten years ago. Or is it? It's it, not that short. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not bad. So why don't you... Uh, I, hopefully I can tell the story without sounding like I'm reading, but here we go. Here goes nothing. Well, why don't you just preface the story with the so, title? So this is uh, this is a story of the scientific largest male mako shark ever recorded. Um, we caught it back in 2010. Uh, it was me, uh, Captain Tom King, and a four-person charter, husband, wife, and two kids. The kids were, I think, um, 13 and four, 12 and 14, somewhere around those that age group. Um, I just lost it already. Oh, there it is. I'm just pulling up the article here. And this is just a little short story that I wrote that went along with the Mako pictures, so I wouldn't really forget the details that happened that day. Um, started out with a, started out with a nice family charter on the Grace. The Grace was a thirty foot, uh, great white, Grady White, great white, great white, a thirty foot. Holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, it was a huge shark. <laughs> you guys are riding sharks out to yeah. Snowbagging Bank. Yeah, Grady White, uh, thirty foot Grady White that we basically like leased from a guy, right? Yeah. To charter with, it was kind of like a third charter boat for mostly inshore trips. This one in particular was. It was an offshore trip. What uh, year was this? 2010, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was the mate. Tom King was the captain. This is actually my first time fishing with Tom. Uh, I've known Tom for years, just walking the docks and talking fishing with him and stuff. He's he's more or less a uh, shark king, uh, similar to the tiger king, just a, <laughs> just a shark king. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Obsessed. Remember, he used to Obsessed, have the website yeah. New, New England Sharks.com. He knows everything about every type of shark. The yeah. guy's nuts. Uh, he's caught many, many Makos over 500 pounds, big thresher sharks. Um, you know, he's been involved in all the uh, the shark tournaments and um, does all like the scientific studies and helps. I think he used to help out with Shark Week as well. I know he was close with Greg Skolmall and yep. they had a good relationship. Tom's, Tom's, older now i mean he's in his 80s at this point i believe but. right uh yeah so we left the docks around five in the morning uh we were heading the, you know the plan was to catch a, a tuna there were smaller tunas around 100 to 200 pounders um and it was the live pogey deal so you know every morning we'd have a dozen pogies ready in the live wall and uh sometimes we more often than not we'd have to pay somebody to get them for us from from another harbor and uh you know we put the pogies in our live well from from our uh, our bait net 
and uh, headed out the southwest corner. There was a pretty good bike going on there. Um, we were about a mile from the corner, and uh, we had an engine issue. And basically, there was a little, uh, from what I understand, I, you know, I really know much about engines at all really then. Um, you know, there's a small little oil reservoir on the side of the engine and, uh, you know, it was empty. So we basically, we had to refill that oil reservoir to, to keep the engine running. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a shit show. So we were like a mile from the bank and the plan was at this point after fixing our, uh, oil problem was, uh, was to just go to the bank and do like one drift you know, maybe we'll get lucky and, uh, you know, and head back home and, and deal with the engine issue. We didn't want it to be a complete fail because we knew how to fix the, put a bandaid on the problem for just, you know, a few hours anyways. And, uh, you know, hopefully at least catch the customers a fish and then go home, even if it was going to be like a ground fish or something. Um, so we ended up at the bank after we fixed the engine. Um, we did a nice long drift. And actually, we, uh, I remember hooking up on the kite. Um, and the father actually fought the tuna. Uh, it was like a 20-minute fight on a, on a little 50 wide. And uh, the fish was like just shy of a giant. Um, got him up closer to the boat. He was kind of doing circles. And then he, he kind of did like this erratic, weird uh, dart back down to the bottom, which um, you know, we thought we had him totally beat and we were just getting ready to put gaffs in the fish, but you know, he, he looked like he was like nervous and, and freaked out and took, took one last run. Um, just looking at the, uh, the article here. Yeah. So the fish took one last run. I see the line start to rise and I tell the charter to get ready cause he might break the surface. And I was thinking this fish was just going to come up, you know, and show himself and the charter would at least see the fish in case we were to lose them for any reason. Uh, the Mako just all of a sudden appeared, and, you know, we saw the big dorsal fin uh, showed up right behind the fish as the... Uh, this is stupid. It's not stupid. It is stupid. It sounds great. I'm getting a lot out of this. <laughs> and I've heard the so. story 25 times. So uh, You do not fucking stop. <laughs> so this shark actually just, like, came up and and bit the tail off the tuna. And, um, you know, big giant blood trail, like something out of Jaws. And, uh, the guy was exhausted fighting this fish. Um, they had never really even offshore, never really offshore fish, never seen a tuna in their life, never seen a shark in their life. Um, and this Mako followed the tuna as we were just basically dragging it, skipping the surface, uh, followed it all the way back to the, uh, to the boat. How much did he bite off? Like a third of the fish. Yeah. So, you know, they what they do is they wedge the tail and the rest of the fish, like, you know, right in the corner of their mouth so they can take the motor off the fish. That way, uh, you know, they can just kind of turn back and eat the rest of the so fish. So, like, sickle fins back, gone. Pretty, pretty much, much, yeah. One bite. Everybody knows the rules. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So, Tom King and I both looked over at the same time when the shark was following it in, and we realized it was a... Uh, you know, it was a Mako shark. And for a second, we thought it was a great white as it was following the, the fish in towards the boat. But uh, as soon as we were like straight up and down with it, looking down, we could see how pointy the nose was. And we knew it was a, just a big ass Mako shark. Um, 
and we actually had shark had a uh, shark. Tom had a uh, shark leader ready to go uh, in one of his you know tackle his, like, bags, bu- <laughs> pretty much in his front <laughs> I'm, pocket. Yeah, I'm picturing you know? it in his like his denim shirt front pocket. Yeah, I mean he wore a denim. <laughs> You know, nine. Dude, out of he 10 was denim on denim all the time. But it was legendary. I mean, now yeah. now it's a style. Oh, now, yeah. like, if you're not leading or leadering a tuna without denim and like a plaid shirt, hundred <laughs> percent, you're not cool. You know. <laughs> and this guy like brought that game. Um. So, he got he quickly got a shark leader out. We put it on a fifty wide. Uh, I think it was yeah. I think it was a different rod if I remember correctly. Um. And uh, just push the bait out. And we, we actually just cut a chunk of the tuna off. Uh, and the, the shark disappeared for probably like, you know, 10 minutes or so. Um, and then all of a sudden the balloon just like started to go down nice and slow. And uh, we hooked the shark. And it just started like dumping line. It only dumped line maybe 100 yards and just stopped. And, uh, and, and Tom and I kind of looked at each other like, all right, is this thing going to jump? Like, what's it going to do? It's just like sitting there in the surface with its dorsal and tail out of the water, 100 yards from the boat, just sitting there. And uh, the uh, the husband basically, like the rod was in the rod holder for the whole first run. Then it just sat there. And I'm like, I'm holding the rod, trying to give it to the husband. The husband didn't want to take it because, you know, he is so exhausted from, uh, from just fighting the tuna fish. And... Um, so I'm like, all right, does, you know, your wife want it? So the wife says no, because she just had knee surgery, like, I don't know, three months or something yeah. or two months. And she didn't want to put a bunch of pressure on her knees, which I don't blame her. Um, so she didn't want to fight it. And then I'm, I turn, you know, the, the other half of my body and there's like a 12 and 13 year old set of kids sitting next to me. And I'm like, I don't think this is a good idea, you know, strapping a 500 pound plus shark. Yeah. To uh, to a twelve year old. It'd be one thing if they'd caught like something right. big. Yeah. Before. One of them was wearing a life jacket for God's sakes. Yeah. You know they can't even put a harness on with a life jacket. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you know, I, I all of a sudden realized that oh, you know, shit, no one can fight the shark except for me. You know, and Tom was on the wheel, and and you know the charter just basically rooted me on. They were like you know, this is badass. And I'm like, are you guys sure you don't want to like at least reel on this fish a little bit, put it in the rod hole? And no, no, you fight it, you fight it. And you know, they like assured me that because I've, I would never take a rod from a customer. Yeah. Uh, unless they were basically begging me to. And at this case they were. Um, so we fought the fish for, I don't know, probably like 40 minutes. He didn't take, didn't take five feet of line. Like it was the most boring Mako shark fight ever. It was horrible and uh we finally just like slowly backed down on him and and got like within maybe 50 to 75 feet he kind of just stayed there for another like half hour uh couldn't really move him started doing like some little head shakes like he was going to take off and and maybe give us a jump still never jumped and um we got the harpoon rigged and ready so at this point you know the the charter wants to keep the meat because we explained mako's fairly good to eat um you know if you cook it right it can taste similar to like a swordfish or something like that um and we we just back down like close to him and then he the fish our leader was like 15 feet long and the fish kind of just like 
you know, veered off to the side of the boat and started swimming up alongside of the boat. And at this point, he's a solid, like, 20 feet from the boat. And um, I just took the rod out of my harness, put the rod in the holder, grabbed the harpoon, like, long darted it. I still, right, I, right in, like, like perfect, right into you the You can fish. watch the video of it. I mean, yeah. it's old school quality and, right. and stuff, but it is on uh, Taylor's Vimeo channel. I mean, it's it was a 10-foot 10, awesome. 10 harpoon and maybe even 12-foot harpoon. 10 or 12-foot harpoon, and it, like, easily went double the distance of the harpoon before it hit the fish. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure exactly where I darted. I thought I darted it kind of low, like, towards the belly. Um and then, like, the shark just stayed still. Like, it just got a harpoon through the side of the shark. And the harpoon's just sitting there. And I had enough time to now take the rod back out of the holder, put it back in the harness, strap up, put the clips on. And the shark is still just sitting there at 20 feet with a dart this line. Has no just swimming. Going on. Has no idea what's going on. And uh, it did, like, five or six head shakes and then, like, turned completely perpendicular from the boat and just started hauling ass and it probably took 300 yards 400 yards a line with obviously our dart line is not that long so what happened was it went so fast it actually took the entire dart basket of line out like almost like a giant knot because obviously we didn't check the dart line before we harpooned it and uh why would you do that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like a <laughs> stupid decision. And, uh, you know, the fish took probably 50 feet of dart line. Then the whole rest of the clump just came out all in one <laughs> oh, knot. nightmare. And then maybe another 40 feet. And then the, the dart ball went in the, ba- uh, went in the water and started just, like, skipping across the surface. And then it was going so fast that it actually went subsurface. I don't know if you've ever drag the poly ball if anyone's ever dragged the poly ball kind of fast but it actually like the way that they're formed the water will grab and actually bring it underwater like a foot or two and this that's what happened all we could see was this orange poly ball like skimming underwater maybe a foot underwater what seemed like 30 40 miles an hour and then the shark jumped completely out of the water landed with the you know with a harpoon still through it the side of it and our rod still attached to it then it jumped again did like a half backflip and then when it landed he broke us off on our uh, on our rod so now all we have is about 120 foot long uh <laughs> dart line attached to this fish and this big poly ball and the poly ball just started like dragging around and then all of a sudden just went thump and just went right underwater tom and i looked at each other like well, that was, I mean, that was fun, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's over, it's done, you know, like that was fun. And, uh, let's just wait it out. Let's wait 20 minutes, half hour and see if the polyball comes up and maybe we can get another chance at it. Maybe the polyball popped and, you know, cause that happens sometimes and we're just never going to see it again. And, uh, after a solid 10 minutes, I mean, we were like, all right, this is getting ridiculous, you know? And now we're thinking like engine problems and like, you know, we, that we had on the way out, and uh and basically like we just looked i think one of the people in the charter was like oh i see it on the horizon <laughs> you know like and we looked forward and it was actually off our bow like probably five to eight hundred yards off our bow like you could just barely see it it's pretty far away and i didn't uh, realize it was that far dude away. it was far like i'm pretty sure 
we, we darted it right on the tip of Southwest corner. And now we're like in between Southwest corner and like race point at oh. this point. Like on Bird Island area? Yeah, like a solid couple miles off the bank. Yeah. You know? And uh, so we see it, we get up to it, and the polyball, sure as shit, is still attached to the fish. And it's just like going through the water at probably 8 to 10 knots, like pretty quick, faster than bluefin trolling speed. Because remember, we were like causing a wake. And every time we get up to it, the fish would feel the, the or hear or whatever, the vibration of the boat and take off and... Uh, you know, it'd be another three to five minutes before we'd see the ball again. And that happened over and over. We probably got up to the ball and actually pulled in the ball over a dozen times. And uh, the fish would take off and we wouldn't see it for three to five minutes. And this lasted for like, you know, another hour. So now we're now our fight clock is like two and a half hours. And we still don't have anything attached to the fish other than the dart line out in the sea. <laughs> And uh, finally, it comes up, and it's, like, sluggish this time. We get up to it, get the dart, you know, the dart line, start pulling on it. And uh, we probably fought on the dart line for, like, another 10, 15 minutes. Um, and when it came up, come to find out, which I'm going to probably do this from now on if I ever go to Harpoon or Mako, you know, try to get them in, like, the last third of the fish. So that way, you're not dealing with the pointy end, yeah. you know, the teeth. And that's what happened when I darted this fish. I actually darted him further back on the body than I thought. It was probably like three to four feet up from the tail. And we, uh, you know, we brought the fishing up backwards. Plus most most fish, sharks are kind of an exception, but most fish have all kinds of tendons and yeah, stuff stronger. Right there. So if, you, you know? if the dart gets all the way in, it's really hard. And for the it dart like went all the way through the tail basically, oh boy. which was like That's like perfect. glorious. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I couldn't believe it because of like how much tension that, you know, was, had to have been several hundred pounds of pressure on that poly ball going through the water when it was running. But anyways, um, so we pulled them up, tail up, and, you know, we just had two tail ropes ready and we tail roped the fish. And it, we kind of all like high five and we're like, holy shit, that was crazy. And uh, like, you know, people started saying that they were watching us, you know, in the fleet or whatever. Southwest Corner Fleet was like watching off watching us off into the distance because we were asking people if they saw the poly ball earlier and uh you know people were like congratulating us for the big mako and it was like really cool at the time you know thinking about it now i would never do it again if we yeah. got a fish that big up to the boat unless it was like in a tournament or something but like at the time it was insane and uh about 10 minutes after we not, not only that um up until like the last probably like five years or so, like we never really got a lot of Makos like on this side of the Cape. Right. Yeah. You know, it was like it's, it's tough to get them up here because they you only have like a month to catch them really. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just like they really only come up here when there's a lot of bluefish or a lot of uh, small tuna, small tuna, which there was stuff. that year. Right. But I feel like ever since that year we've had more and more more and more yeah. yeah and i think just less people are killing them there's less tournaments and stuff um but yeah so we so we you know got the fish tail roped and you know now it's like all right how the hell do we get this thing on the boat and again we're on like a leased boat that uh not even a leased boat it was like a buddy boat that had the full yeah, charter it was an, it outfit was, 
just not fully prepared. Yeah. The owner basically wanted the, the boat to do a Utilized, few trips right. for us to run charters on to pay expenses. Right. You know, so and, it was our uh, third in, in line in the fleet at that moment. And it, fourth. It did 90% inshore trips. Yeah. And obviously, there's nothing to lift a heavy fish on the boat. So now we're on the radio like idiots going, you know, does anybody have a block and tackle that we can use and, uh, you know, help bring this fish on? And, um, you know, the guy gets on the radio. Yep. Got a block and tackle. I'll come right over to you. It was uh, Drew. Bro- yeah. Brood ass. Brood ass. And uh, Dave knows all about him. He comes He comes <laughs> over. He comes over and uh, there's a little pulpit on our gradient. He had a pulpit on his boat. Like pulpit being like a two foot little anchor pulpit. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tell him to come around to the stern and he decides for some reason <laughs> to go bow to bow and a wave catches it perfect. And like he goes down, we go up and our bow lands right on his bow and he crushes <laughs> oh his God. wooden like teak pulpit down like a solid 12 inches. The thing was destroyed. <laughs> and he's like laughing about it. Like, oh, that was my fault. And I'm like, like yeah, I apologize because you're the one bringing the to block and tackle over but you know you just destroyed the bow of your boat yeah and uh so he was whatever he was cool about it he gave us block and tackle we got the fish three quarters of the way up um, basically to the peck fins the peck fins yeah, yeah. And, and the head was like still almost by the engines well they were they were literally up against the head the was still in the water in the water still yeah. against the engine so we couldn't turn we could only turn one direction like hard <laughs> the other direction we couldn't turn the wheel all the way because the uh, engines would just hit its head yeah anyways um so we're we're all ecstatic the thing's tied off then my dad gets on the radio and he's like taylor where are you like with you know with a cigarette in his yeah. mouth and uh and i'm like i'm probably only like three mile three to five miles from you like i wasn't looking at the gps at the time i didn't know exactly where he was i knew he was around peaked hill area or like the race area which is the tip of cape cod right for those of you who don't know and and i'm like the area i'm like where are you what's going on he's like my water pump just failed and uh you know we're overheating and i need to get a tow i'm like well i have a 500 plus pound mako attached to the boat <laughs> An engine that has engine problems since this morning, <laughs> and we can't turn all the way. I'm like, what do you want me to do? He's like, I need you to come get me. So thank God we had extra oil on the boat because yeah. every it was about every six miles we had to stop, rip the engine covers off, and fit, top this thing off with oil. And I'm sure there's someone out there going, oh, it's you know this was wrong. I think it was a, a strainer was clogged, something was clogged, yeah, not allowing it to get in. Anyways. I'm not an outboard guy. Um, so he's, I'm like, where are you? I'm like, I guess we'll come get you. You know, we can only go like six and a half, seven knots because we got this fish that's still half in the freaking water. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think we got up to almost 10 knots going there. So this was when dad Dude, had, I rem- I remember dad had that, the old boat. I remember this because you texted me at like 10 in the morning. You're like, yeah, I got like three or 400 pound Mako. You had service for like a, right. a hot minute. Yeah. And you didn't get in till like five o'clock Dude, at night. It was miserable. So, so I asked him like, "Where are you?" He's like, "I'm down by the golf ball." And I'm like, "Ugh!" <laughs> like that's like eight miles. He's like, "Yeah, I'm down by the golf ball. We just finished, you know, trolling around. We didn't get a bite, and I can't get home." I'm like, "Okay." So we went. It was about an hour and a half. We got him, and now we're towing a Mako and a 32 Holland from the golf ball all the way back to situate (laughs) 
So this was like a solid 30 something odd run. And we're going like six, seven knots. So I don't know, you do the math, five hours, four or five hours yeah. on the way home. And, uh, you know, by that time it was like noon, one o'clock. So then we're pulling in the harbor at five, six o'clock at night. And, um, you know, I told, I had enough time because we were going so slow. I was like texting everybody, letting them know I'm bringing in a big Mako and, you know, come bring your cameras and take some pictures with it and stuff. So, uh, I mean, maybe you can explain yeah. this part of the story. Yes. So I texted Brian, obviously <laughs> saying there's a big Mako coming in. Maybe, maybe someone has a scale for a state pin or something. You know, I think that's yeah. why we wanted to scale. E- exactly. So I forget how the crane got involved. <laughs> But if a family member of ours uh, has a friend with a, a small like cherry picker crane, so right. where our boats are, the bulkhead like charter row, he was able to pull right up to there, and t- Taylor backs in. They're able to back in, and like I don't know, there's probably a couple hundred people there, hundred to two hundred people there. You know, everyone had heard that you know the fish was coming in, and and Steve James, um, who's no longer with us now, but. He was down there with his scale. We had the crane, uh, you know, so all the appropriate people like were there. Yeah. Our whole family so was let, there. Let me go back to the article just to read basically what happened. So again, on the way home, we had to stop five times for me to fix the engine to keep going yeah. for us to get home. Oh, and halfway home, our uh, tow rope snapped. Towing him. There's a photo of... The Mako Maybe we'll hanging put it on, through the on door. The yeah, that'll be the that'll be the thumbnail for this episode. Right. Yeah, it's a photo of the, uh, the Mako like halfway through the door, and then in the background you can see the tow lines with the uh, the Holland getting towed home. Um. So let's see here. Halfway home, the line snapped. Then I had to add more oil. Then I had to fix the tow line. It snapped again. Then I had to put more oil in. After five hours later, we arrived to over 200 people at the dock. So Mill Wharf, I don't know, it was 120 feet long. I'd say half of it was full of people, and it was about six people deep. And uh, there was a crane there. The police were there. The police were there. There was a bunch of news people there. Uh, other people that were there, uh, Steve James, Michael Jordan, <laughs> Mike Jones, Chuck, Chuck Norris. At the time, that was when the Chuck Norris jokes were heavy. Yeah, well, most of them, is yeah. what I wrote, yeah. So, we ended up weighing the fish. Uh, it was 624 pounds. Uh, it was 109 inches fork length, and uh, it was 67-inch girth. What have it in stomach? It had uh, two, like, 40-inch striped bass, um, a third of a tuna, um, and I think a few, like, pogies and stuff like that, like smaller fish mackerels or whatever the girth on the thing was massive yeah it was six, a big 67 fish. inches so i mean that's yeah. that's huge 624 round weight right and the, the, at the the largest at that point in time recorded for a male mako again this is a male mako not a, a female females get short fin mako females get up over what two thousand pounds oh i mean that would be a monster but yeah i think it I know, know the, like the I, West Coast. I, and yeah, the West Coast they get, get some huge. huge ones. But yeah, yeah, like 1,500 is a massive, is a massive, massive one, one. Yeah, A lot of guys mistake them for great whites. You know, they think yeah. they see a great white, but it's actually a, a really big mako shark. Um, it was a big fish. And, you know, we'll put some pictures up online showing the, the fish hanging, all the people in the background. 
And, the blue uh, film was no joke either. It was like a 70 incher. Right. You know? Yeah. It's just shy of being able to. Oh, we don't really know how long it was, but looking because the fish. I mean, we got almost the whole tail and yeah. everything back out. I think it had the whole chunk of tuna, but the tail was missing because yeah. they just wedge it. You know, the tail must have just drifted down. Um, yeah, it was freaking. It was bizarre, and I end up having like two or three other interviews after that with one one interview that I'm extremely extremely jealous of. And maybe you can laugh. Yeah, Bianca de la Garza. Yeah. Oh, my Lanta. Dude, she's, I love she's, her. She's uh, fairly good looking. <laughs> she got her. <laughs> did you get her stiletto stuck in the rod holder getting on the boat? Yeah, so the interview? Went, it was uh, in the morning, like yeah. nine in the morning. We actually like canceled or no, we didn't cancel. We bumped a charter because it was like they wanted to do all these news interviews and it was good for our charter company. Yeah. So we bumped a charter on one of our other boats. So uh, the grace, you know, didn't go out. And I think at that time, our uncle fixed the engines that night when we brought the Mako yeah. in. And, um, you know, we, we we bumped the trip and then, you know, she calls and shows up and, um, you know, I go to get her on. She was wearing like neon white pants. <laughs> like they don't belong on boats, period. <laughs> and uh, she goes to get on the boat. And I give her my hand and she puts her stiletto high heel right into the freaking rod holder and then just tanks it. Like, <laughs> I thought she broke her arm and shit. It was bad. Um, oh, it's un- unbelievable. But she was fine and she did a pretty good interview. I'm not going to show that interview because it's like embarrassing. <laughs> Dude, I look like I'm like six. <laughs> oh, you basically were. I know. Uh, Lots t- happened in 10 years. I know. I know. Um, so, yeah, that's the Mako story. That's sweet. That's and right, right after that, Johnny Galvin actually caught a five twelve. I think it was. He had me all nervous bringing in a, a big male Mako, and you know wasn't wasn't big enough. I think part of the reason why mine weighed so much was because of what was in its stomach. Yeah, um, yeah, it was an extra fifty pounds of fish. So in there. fat. Yeah, you know, it was big. But that story's sick. Thanks, dude. Thank you. So. Just remember, you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. Have a shark leader in your front have, pocket. Have a shark leader in your <laughs> denim shirt. And the rest will just have to keep listening. Stay tight, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsors again, Mass Bay Guides and Deep. If you're interested in booking a charter with us on the Mass Bay Guides boats, you can visit www.massbayguides.com for rates and availability. Um, Call the office at 781-545-6516 to book a trip. If you're interested in how the season's going, what we're catching, how the bite's been, you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. Just search Mass Bay Guides and all of our, our daily reports and everything will be there. If you need to gear up for the season, you need some fresh threads, some fresh apparel. If you need to grab a you know face shield or something for this uh, this craziness that we have going on with the COVID nineteen outbreak, make sure you visit www.shopdeep.com. Check out Deep Apparel; they have a lot of great deals going on right now. Um, and you can also use the promo code SearsBro twenty. That'll get you an extra twenty percent off your next order. We just want to thank you all for your input and feedback to a lot of our latest podcast episodes. We've got some some great uh, responses from our community. We're having a blast doing this. Um, if you have any 
ideas on guests or topics or anything. We are all ears. We are more than more than happy to entertain any new ideas and and see if we can get this thing to grow even more and, and touch on new things. So um, that would be greatly appreciated as well. If you want to contact us or you know reach out to us or or just check out what we have going on at Seabros Fishing, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Seabros Fishing. You can also visit our personal pages on Instagram, MBG Brian and MBG Taylor. You can direct message us there if you want to just shoot the breeze, talk fishing. You know we're in the same boat as everyone else, so we uh, we can't wait to get going. Um, can't wait to get going with the the 2020 season here and and hopefully it uh, it all comes together despite everything that we're all going through currently so um with that said thank you all very much for listening stay safe stay healthy and stay tight